This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. See, Jesus in, in the scriptures promises to build his church. And each week, whenever I get this opportunity to gather with students, I know that Jesus is fulfilling that promise of building his church. And that you guys are going to leave Wake Forest, you're going to leave Winston-Salem State and be the embodiment of who he is to our world. But tonight's passage of scripture comes from Ephesians 2, verses 11 down to verse 16. Ephesians 2, verse 11 down to verse 16. And the scripture says, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. This is God's word. You know, the book of Ephesians is mostly uh, a collection of several prayers. uh, And we know this because Paul, even in the middle of the book, in in chapter 3, gives us a benediction. Uh, So Paul seeks to to grow the church through uh, both these doctrinal affirmations, but he also wants to give them Uh, these practical exhortations. So chapter 2 is unique within the context of that, though, because he almost is like interrupting his own, you know, central thought process. Just completely goes in a different direction than everything else he's talked about in the rest of the book. One of my favorite preachers is a a dude named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who in his lecture to some seminary students in London uh, during the 50s, he said that the business of preaching is simply to confront confront people with facts. And this particular passage here in Ephesians is exactly that. It is the confrontation of the facts of the person and work of Jesus. And Paul does this through uh, what we call a spiritual biography, where he recounts the saving work of Jesus. And he does this through making us reflect on the life of every Christian. And especially in this particular passage to those he calls Gentiles. 
who are now a part of this new body of Christ that breaks down cultural boundaries that existed in his day, and honestly, they exist for you and I as well. I want you to know that, that Paul is clear and working to see that you and I connect both as the reconciled people of God and with each other. Usually we find Paul writing to address uh, specific ideas of conflict within particular churches, but Ephesians is clearly different. Uh, Paul is writing to this young church with this sincere affection but he writes with this rhetorical question in mind, it seems. He's asking almost, who do you think you are? This question is important because it's who we understand ourselves to be in Christ that is fundamental for all of life. This is twofold in nature, though, because there is the duality of what it means for being brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as the oneness, then, that we share in relationship with Christ Jesus. And Jesus, he comes and he gives himself for us. There is no greater picture than Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Uh, in John 17, he prays, but in this prayer comes, though, just before uh, this fraudulent trial and conviction and punishment on the cross. And Jesus is praying, and, and we think that he's praying for the disciples, and he is exactly praying for the disciples. But notice, when you look at the prayer, he's also then praying for you and I. Jesus is our sovereign God. He is the one through whom all things were created. And so we as Christians, we, we gather at stuff like RUF to celebrate the truth of our risen Savior. See, the story of Jesus is the essential story of human history. Scripture tells the story uh, of the last week of Jesus' life. And in that last week, there's the story of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, and he's coming down from the Mount of Olives, and there's a multitude of people, the scripture says, who are singing these praises and they're rejoicing. And they sing this song. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That takes place in Luke 19. But even though I'm sure most of the crowd didn't know what was going on in this moment, I'm sure that the disciples who were with Jesus had to be absolutely amazed at what they were witnessing in this moment. See, this was the experience of the exact fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Uh, the prophet Zechariah said that rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding that I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So if any of the disciples had any questions 
about who Jesus is to this point. They had to witness these crowds celebrating him and have their answers. Jesus is riding into the city as the one true king of Israel who would reign for eternity. Jesus wasn't just the king of the Jews as they had mockingly put on the sign that hung before him on the cross. No, Jesus is the king of all kings, the one who would bring redemption to all peoples of the earth by offering himself as our redeeming sacrifice. Jesus comes, though, as the mediator of a new covenant. And the Apostle Paul describes as within himself, in this text, having broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And this wall is separation because of sin. Sins like racism and classism and sexism. And what's clear here is that the gospel also then breaks down these barriers too. If we're honest, we, we do well to admit that much of the story of American history is one in which the biblical gospel's truth has been used to divide rather than to unite. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, it's about 650 words in John 17. It only takes a couple minutes for us to read, and, and though we've been reading it for more than 2,000 years that scripture has been with us, uh, clearly we have yet to grasp what it means and to live it. Because what does Jesus pray here? He prays that believers would be made one. This idea of being made one is so critical for Jesus, though, that he says that their unity with each other and their unity with God may cause the world to believe that the Father sent the Son. So we got to know that when the world observes our divisions as Christians, when we fail to show the unity with God and with each other, we become utterly ineffective in showing the world that Jesus is beautiful and believable. It's this, this kind of central idea of oneness that the Apostle Paul is writing about here in this church in Ephesus. And most people love um, the book of Ephesians because Paul is so incredibly encouraging and, and really wanting to see people built up but that generally lasts up until about here uh, in this second chapter in this 10th verse. As the gospel changes us, it causes us often to be confrontational with what's in our own hearts. I mean, if you're like me, you have to wrestle with this idea of how being called to generosity when the only thing you really want is to continue to grow in wealth and affluence. But when the gospel is true, even when it comes to those people that you really would just love to tell them some stuff about themselves, 
you learn to love them and pray for them. And the gospel is true to you. You can't help but see the brokenness of our world and not weep for the families struggling to feed their children and the news of more political strife and the disparities among the rich and the poor only continues to grow. But when the gospel is true, you can't help the reality of mourning the, the fact that hundreds of thousands of lives are being devastated by a virus. When the gospel is true, you can't see police officers take the lives of your black brothers and sisters as fellow image bearers of Christ and not long for his mercy. In verse 11, Paul writes, he says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Just a couple things I, I want you to see here. First, I want you to notice that he is directing this particular point to the Gentiles. He is recognizing that this is going to people uh, who didn't follow within the traditional Jewish values. And we know that circumcision is the cutting away of the male foreskin, but it's used within the biblical narrative to be reflective of something that happens spiritually. In Jeremiah 4 and 4, we see that circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire. See, circumcision was given to Abraham and those who descended from him as a physical reminder that they were to live as a people called to be set apart for the service of the one true and living God. It was intended to mark the covenant community, not as just a way of earning righteousness, but the reality of what it means to belong to him. Notice, though, the context, because in reality, the phrase, the uncircumcision, is actually derogatory language. It was the language used in an inflammatory way to be demeaning. The Jews would use it for anyone deemed outside of God's chosen people. So verse 12 shows us then that we are then to remember the time when we were separated from Christ. See, circumcision as a spiritual reality is about the heart and Jesus brings a covenant of salvation that cannot be broken. R.C. Sproul, a theologian, says uh, that the covenant that Jesus brings is a nightmare for those who refuse to walk by faith in it. Because we who have been marked must forsake all other gods, which can be any hobby or person or addiction or anything else that we have elevated to first place in our hearts. And so if you're a Christian today, 
we can look at the hope that verse 13 offers. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is our new reality as followers of Jesus. His blood shed on Calvary's cross is the very means by which we have been reconciled to him. And as a result, though, know that this means that you have been made a part of a new family, a family that looks very different from the families that many of us are born into. Rather, being in the family of God means that because of the blood of Christ, Jonah and the students at Winston-Salem State are not just good friends, but your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Look finally, though, at verses 14 through 16. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul says first that for he himself is our peace. Know that it's in Jesus alone that we find peace. There's no peace in politics. There's no peace in race, there is no peace, and money and wealth, there is peace only in Jesus. Look at how beautifully Paul defines this for us. He says that Jesus, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So this division of Jews and Gentiles in the same way that exists in our cultural divisions today, Jesus has within himself broken down the dividing walls of hostility. So if there is anything in you that leads you to believe in some superiority, Jesus has torn down the walls. Paul goes on to say, though, that Jesus is one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So fam, let me just as your brother warn you against thinking that the divisions of race and equality are merely just social issues and not gospel issues. I know often within the context of the church, we're taught that these things don't align together. Yet, Jesus calls us to oneness. I want to just close this evening by helping us walk through these applications for believers and unbelievers alike. 
See, the, the good news of the gospel includes the fact that Jewish Messiah, Jesus, he, he died so that uh, he would put an end to these divisions. He was at work to reconcile us, Paul says. And he does this within himself. To my unbelieving friends, know that Christians are deeply broken people. That's why they profess a need for Jesus. And while we can often say that we're woke to the evils of the divisions of race and class and sex, and all of these other divisions, I want you to know too that the only way that these things change is in Jesus. We can march and protest. We can cancel anyone we want. But until Jesus transforms the hearts and minds of men, none of this changes. To my Christian friends, know that the time has come for us as the people of God to listen, to acknowledge, to know that the way forward for us, if we truly want reconciliation, then our narrative has to change. We have to be intentional about the pursuit of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ who are different from us. The gospel has to go from being something we simply know and have heard to being lived out in the peace of Christ. It starts at Winston-Salem State University. It starts at Wake Forest University. So if we want to see the change in our world, we got to get to work to making Jesus famous. And to my unbelieving friends, if you want to see this world change, got to know that it begins with loving and knowing and serving Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for your word tonight, for the way in which you have graciously given us your son Jesus, who bore Calvary's cross, paying the penalty the debt of our sin that we would be reconciled to you but also gloriously that within yourself on that same cross you broke down those dividing walls that we can love and live in the unity that you called us to as your people and I pray, God, that we would hear this message of your gospel tonight, and we would never be the same. We thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.